Volume One, Chapter One of A Charming Fellow by Francis Eleanor Trollope. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A Charming Fellow by Francis Eleanor Trollope. Volume One, Chapter One. To be frank with you, Mr. Diamond, I don't believe Dr. Bodkin understands my son's genius. I beg your pardon, madam. You said your son's genius, sir, the bent of his genius. Algy's is not a mechanical mind. Mrs. Errington slightly tossed her head as she uttered the word mechanical. Mr. Diamond said, oh, and then sat silent. The room was very quiet. The autumn day was fading, and the mingling of twilight and firelight and the stillness of the scene were conducive to mute meditation. It was a long, low room with an uneven floor, a whitewashed ceiling crossed by heavy beams, and one large bow window. It was furnished with the spindle-legged chairs and tables in use in the last century. A crimson drugget covered the floor, and in front of the hearth lay a rug, made of scraps of black and colored cloth, neatly sewn together in a pattern. Over the high wooden mantelpiece hung on one side a faded watercolor sketch of a gentleman with powdered hair, and on the other an oval miniature of much later date, which represented a fair, florid young lady, with large, languid blue eyes and a red mouth, somewhat too full-lipped. Notwithstanding the years which had elapsed since the miniature was painted, it was still sufficiently like Mrs. Errington to be recognized for her portrait. There was an old harpsichord in the room, and a few books on hanging shelves. But the only handsome or costly object to be seen were some delicate blue and white china cups and saucers, which glistened from an oaken corner cupboard, and a large work-box of tortoise-shell, inlaid with mother-of-pearl, lined with amber satin, and fitted with the implements of needlework, in richly chased silver. The box, like the china cupboard, stood wide open to display its contents, and was evidently a subject of pride to its possessor. It was entirely incongruous with the rest of the furniture, which, although decent and serviceable, was very plain and rather scanty. Nevertheless, the room looked snug and homelike. The coal-fire burnt with a deep glowing light, a small copper kettle was singing cheerily on the hob. Tea-things were laid on a table in front of the fire, and a fitful moaning wind that rattled now and then against the antique casement enhanced the comfort of the scene by its suggestion of forlorn chilliness without. But however the influence of the time and place might incline Mr. Diamond to silence, they had no such effect on Mrs. Errington. After a short pause, during which she seemed to be awaiting some remark from her companion, she observed once more, no i do not think the doctor understands algy's genius and that is why i was anxious to ask your advice on this proposition of mr philthorpe's but madam why should you suppose me likely to understand algernon better than dr bodkin does oh because in the first place you are younger nearer algy's own age ah there is a wide gap though between his eighteen and my eight-and-twenty a wider gap than the mere ten years would necessarily make in all cases Mrs. Errington glanced at the speaker, and thought, in the maternal pride of her heart, that there was indeed a wide difference between her joyous, handsome Algernon and Matthew Diamond, second master at the Whitford Grammar School, and she thought, too, that the difference was all to her son's advantage. Mr. Diamond was a grave-looking young man with a spare, strong figure, and a face which, in repose, was neither handsome nor ugly. His clean-shaven chin and upper lip were firmly cut, and he had a pair of keen gray eyes but such as it was it was a face which most persons who saw it often fell into a habit of watching it raised an indefinite expectation 
you were instinctively aware of something latent beneath its habitual expression of seriousness and reserve what the something might be was variously guessed at according to the temperament of the observer then there is another reason why i wish to consult you pursued mrs errington i have a great opinion of your judgment from what algy tells me i assure you algy thinks an immense deal of your talents mr diamond you must not think i flatter you no replied mr diamond very quietly i do not think you flatter me and therefore i have told you the state of the case quite openly and i would not have you hesitate to give your advice from any fear of disagreeing with my opinion mr diamond leaned his elbow on the table and his face on his hand which he held so as to hide his mouth an habitual posture with him and looked gravely at mrs errington i trust continued the lady that i am superior to the weakness of requiring blind acquiescence from people mrs errington spoke in a mellow measured voice and had a soft smiling cast of countenance both these were frequently contradicted in a startling manner by the words she uttered for in truth the worthy lady's soul and body were no more like each other than a peach-stone is like a peach her velvety softness was not affected but it was merely external and the real woman was nothing less than tender sensitive persons did not fare very well with mrs errington who withal had the reputation of being an exceedingly good-natured woman if you think my advice worth having said mr diamond i do really now pray don't be shy of speaking out interrupted the lady reassuringly i must tell you that i think your cousin's offer is much too good to be refused and it opens a prospect which many young men would envy you advise us to accept it yes why then mr diamond i don't believe you understand algy one bit better than the doctor does exclaimed mrs errington leaning back in her chair and folding her large white hands together in a resigned manner i warned you you know that i might not answered mr diamond composedly a prospect which many young men would envy well perhaps many young men yes i dare say but for algy do but think of it mr diamond to sit all day on a high stool in a musty office you must own that for a young fellow of my son's spirit the idea is not alluring oh if the question be merely for algernon to choose some method of passing his time which shall be alluring mrs errington drew herself up a little no said she that is certainly not the question mr diamond at the same time before embracing mr philthorpe's offer i thought it only reasonable to ask myself may we not do better can we not do better i begin to perceive thought matthew diamond within himself that mrs errington's meaning when she asks advice is pretty much like that of most of her neighbours having already made up her mind how to act she would like to be told that her decision is the best and wisest conceivable he said nothing however but bowed his head a little to show that he was giving attention to the lady's discourse we have an alternative you must know said mrs errington turning her eyes languidly on mr diamond but not moving her head from its comfortable resting-place against the back of her well-cushioned armchair. we are not bound hand and foot to this bristol merchant by the way you spoke of him as my cousin i beg your pardon is he not so no not mine my poor husband's with a glance at the portrait over the mantelpiece none of my family ever had the remotest connection with commerce ha the good fortune was all on the side of the errington's this time mrs errington turned her head so as to look full at her interlocutor there met her view the same calm forehead the same steady eyes the same sheltering hand gently stroking the upper lip which she had looked upon a minute before my good sir she answered in a tone of patient explanation my own family the ancrams were people of the very first quality in warwickshire 
my grandfather never stirred out without his coach and four ah oh yes algy's prospects in life ought to be very very different from what they are of course he ought to go to the university but i cannot afford to send him there i make no secret of my circumstances college is out of the question for him poor boy unless he entered himself as a what do you call it a sort of pauper a caesar and i suppose you would hardly advise him to do that no i should by no means advise it i was a caesar myself really ah oh, well then you know what it is and i am quite sure it would never suit algy's spirits i am quite sure it would not mrs errington's good opinion of the tutor's judgment which had been considerably shaken began to revive i see you know something of his character said she smiling well then the case stands thus algy has turned eighteen he has had the best education i could give him indeed my chief motive for settling in this obscure little hole when i was left a widow was the fact that dr bodkin who was an old acquaintance of my husband was head of the grammar school here and i knew i could give my boy the education of a gentleman up to a certain point at small expense he has had this offer from the bristol man and he has had another offer of a very different sort from my side of the house indeed oh yes perhaps if i had begun by stating that circumstance you might have modified your advice eh mr diamond this was said in a tone of mild raillery why answered mr diamond slowly i must own that my advice usually does depend somewhat on my knowledge of the circumstances of the case under consideration now that's candid and i love candour as i told you the fact is lord seely married an ancrum there was a pause mrs errington looked inquiringly at her companion you have heard of lord seely she said i have seen his name in the newspapers in the days when i used to read newspapers he is a most distinguished nobleman another pause well continued mrs errington condescendingly i cannot expect all that to interest you mr diamond perhaps there may be a little family partiality in my estimate of lord seely however be that as it may he married an ancrum she was of the younger branch my father's second cousin when algy first began to turn his thoughts towards a diplomatic career eh a diplomatic oh didn't you know yes he has had serious thoughts of it for some time algernon certainly and in confidence mr diamond i think it would suit him admirably i fancy it is what his genius is best adapted for well when i perceived this bent in him i made indirectly application to lady seely and she returned also indirectly a most gracious answer she should be happy to receive mr algernon ancrum errington whenever she was in town is that all 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 that you have to tell me to modify and so on that would lead to more don't you see lord seely has enormous influence and i don't know any one better able to push the fortunes of a young man like algy but has he promised anything definite he could hardly do that seeing that as yet he knows nothing of my son whatever my dear mr diamond when you know as much of the world as i do you will see that it does not do to rush at things in a hurry you must give people time especially a man like lord seely who of course cannot be expected to-to do you mean that you seriously contemplate dropping the substance of philthorpe for this shadow of seely mr diamond what very extraordinary expressions mr diamond took his hand from his mouth clasped both his hands on his knee and sat looking into the fire as abstractedly as if there had been no other person within sight or sound of him mrs errington apparently taking it for granted that his attitude was one of profound attention to herself proceeded flowingly to justify her decision for it evidently was a decision to decline the bristol merchant's offer of employment and a home for her son besides algy's genius there were other objections 
mr philthorpe had a vulgar wife and a vulgar daughter of course they must be vulgar that was clear and who could say that they might not endeavour to entangle algy in some promise or engagement to marry the daughter nay it was very certain that they would make such an endeavour possibly probably that was old philthorpe's real object in inviting his young relative to accept a place in his counting-house indeed they might confidently consider that it was so of course algy would be a bait to these people and as to lord seely mr diamond did not know how should he seeing that he had been little more than a twelvemonth in whitford and out of that time had scarcely ever had an hour's converse with her that she mrs errington was a person rather apt to hide and diminish than unduly blazon forth her family glories and she was moreover scrupulous to a fault in the accuracy of all her statements nevertheless she must say that there was perhaps no nobleman in england whose patronage would have more weight than his lordship's and whether or not the brilliancy of algy's parts and the charm of his manners would be likely to captivate a man of lord seely's taste and cultivation that she left to the sense and candour of any one who knew and could appreciate her son mr diamond uttered an odd smothered kind of sound eh said mrs errington mellifluously there was no answer hello cried a blithe voice as the door was suddenly thrown open why you're all in the dark here dear me exclaimed mr diamond jumping to his feet and then sitting down again i believe i'm afraid i was almost asleep End of volume one chapter one